Some people build fences to keep people out, and other people build fences to keep people in. everybody welcome back welcome back to the analysis this man is so hype here (laughs) he's ready all right everybody welcome back just bob here today matt is off and i am joined with a couple buddies and we are extending our average joe's go to see oscar bait movie conversation and today is a special day because we have a man who's been bugging me to get on this podcast pretty much since it debuted in the summer. A man who is a special type of cinema patron. A guy who once this week referenced a, a famous, a, a, an iconic uh, action thriller starring Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. The movie Double Face. <laughs> Call that shit Double Face. <laughs> So, on the uh, friend of the pod we have on here today, Darcia Hill, a man who is famous around the office for constantly getting celebrities and athletes' names incorrect, uh, but but enough to where you can know what they're talking about. When the man talks about the movie Double Face, you know, are you talking about Face Off, man? And so we have uh, Darcia on the on the on the podcast today. And uh, he's excited to be here. I'm excited to have him. And we also have my buddy JC, Jeremy Clements, and uh, just a guy who I generally appreciate his intake on films. The guy who uh, actually was the first person before Matt even to recommend to me Hell or High Water. Guy who kind of uh, is, you know, dabbles in the, in the movie game. And so I'm happy to have them both on today to talk about Fences, starring yeah. Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. And my man D. Hill here, it's his favorite actor, correct, D. Hill? This is correct. First off, I'd like to start off by about damn time. You know, so you to play me, man. You've been playing me for six months, putting other token people on the podcast. Finally got your boy on the podcast. I'm ready to go. Okay, he's ready to go. And we have some Denzel trivia coming up here, so we're going to find out how, how big of a, a fan you are today. And uh, JC, any thoughts before we dive into fences here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just appreciate the opportunity. Um, I think it's coincidental that we're talking about a movie that doesn't have any uh, white people in it, and we have oh, Darcy, who is black, oh, and myself, who is half black, on this oh, podcast. Shit. So. Uh, I don't know if it's purely coincidence or not, but we'll slightly coincidence. Yeah, it wasn't coincidence that our first lady also came on during the Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters chop too. But you know, I mean, there's so many themes that have to do with the black experience and African American culture, and we'll get into it once we talk about the 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 script and the. Um, but uh, anyway, there's there's so many, so it would feel weird for me to just sit around with like three or four white dudes and chopping it up, and you know, I don't know how much. Uh, how much this movie affected you or, or, you know, what extra perspective you guys might have on it. But it was at least a conversation I was interested in having. So I'm happy to have you guys on. So anyway, let's get into it. Uh, Fences, right? Yes. Written by August Wilson, who is a famous black playwright. It was written in 1983, uh, debuted on Broadway in 1987 with James Earl Jones and Courtney B. Vance. And we're going to talk a little bit about James Earl Jones a little later. But... Let's get into it. What did you guys, what were some of your initial impressions? What did you guys feel? I thought it was a very powerful, moving film. Simple. And it's, you know, as far as, you know, it's not like a big, like, blockbuster production. 
but powerful in his words, you know. So it's more like a film where like you really have to pay attention to what they're actually doing or saying because there isn't a lot going on in the background. You know, there's no stagers or anything like that that you're used to in big films. So that's what I thought. Powerful. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it was definitely uh, a powerful... There were powerful performances in the movie. Um, You could tell probably about 10 minutes then that this movie was a play at one point. Um, I think that was pretty clear. But no, I I enjoyed it. Um, I think overall I did enjoy their performances more than I did the actual movie itself. Oh, okay. Um, But no, I thought that the the setting seemed very authentic, what African-American life was like back then for a lot of people. So um, like I said, I enjoyed it. Um, I think we'll get more into it a little bit later, but that was my initial thought. Okay, cool. And this movie was also directed by Denzel Washington. It's his second major turn as a director. I was just doing some research, getting ready for this. And I saw that he had directed one episode of Grey's Anatomy in like 2000. No, he didn't direct Training Day. Uh, but he, he, his other, the only other movie he directed was, I think that was Antoine Farquhar, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did uh, Magnificent Seven, the remake as yes. well. Yes, yes, yes. And he did, um, and he directed Antoine Fisher. So yeah, so uh, just to, but yeah, so then this is uh, this is Denzel's uh, second major turn as a director, and yeah, they really were comfortable in letting this read like a stage play, and you know, and that's kind of one of the things I really wanted to touch on here out of the gate is a lot of times stage plays do not transition well into film. And uh, Death of a Salesman is one of the most famous American plays. They've tried to make that movie several times to, to no real success. Uh, they've recently made August Osage County, which was uh, Broadway and Tony, Tony Darling. And they, they had some success. Merrill was in it. Uh, it was nominated for a few awards, but it was met with mi- mixed reviews. And a lot of times it kind of reads the same as when a book is adapted. Uh, and, you know, people say that they prefer just the stage inversion so well. And in order for something to read or live on stage, it just requires different elements than a film. And sometimes it's very difficult to make a stage play cinematic and make it make it really pop. And so with that said, the the rights to this were actually bought right after the success of the stage play by Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy wanted to produce it. Yeah, and Eddie Murphy wanted to produce it into a movie, and he was actually, they were set to have Barry Levinson, who's a white director. And Barry Levinson um, did Good Morning Vietnam, and he had done The Natural, a baseball movie, which is a little ironic because this has baseball themes in it as well, uh, as well as Rain Man. So, um, and that project fell apart because Barry Levinson didn't feel that the script was cinematic enough to read as a movie. So they've been trying to make it for years, and finally, um, uh, a few years post-mortem after uh, August Wilson has passed, Denzel Washington took on the play. Uh, He lived in the play in 2010. They did a Broadway revival uh, in in which both Denzel and Viola Davis, who uh, obviously are returning to the roles, won Tony Awards for it. He lived in the play, still had a major passion for it, still felt that the themes were very applicable to uh, what is happening in today's America, and so, uh, you know, here we are, and they got the, the funding behind it. They got some energy behind it, and we have the movie today. So I'm glad that he was able to have it feel like a play. He was very comfortable sitting down, training that camera on himself, and letting those monologues live. And they do, in the play mostly, the play entirely takes place on that back porch, the uh, 
Tori's back porch, but they do, you know, they have him on the truck instead. And there's a few scenes, they have him in a bar with Bono. They have a few different locations that they're able to kind of change a pace, but the script is pretty much entirely there. Right. I think for me personally, uh, something that you, you instantly notice when watching the film is you can tell that this isn't the first time they went through these lines. Like Viola Davis, Denzel, like they, they read these lines as if like it was coming from their own their own mouth or their own thoughts. Like it wasn't like, you know, rehearsed, I guess I should say. Like it felt very fluid, very natural. Like it definitely was something I got like instantly from the film. Yeah, I mean, I think as an actor and actress professionally, um, Darcy, they probably memorized their lines ahead of time anyway. Hey, man. Hey, man. You know what the hell I mean, all right? Well, I mean, I do think them being in the play, which is, for my my recollection, pretty rare that any play that goes to movie usually don't have the same people in it. Um, I oh, could so be... you agree with me then, is what you're saying. You agree with me. No, I think that it gives it a different vibe than a movie that was a play previously than it would if they were totally, it was a totally different cast. I guess guess maybe not to interject. What I'm trying to say is their on screen play was on another level. As far as I'm concerned, as far as how they work together, like, and the way it flowed was, yeah, there was definitely there was definitely a dynamic, and, and to Jeremy's point, you're right. A lot of times a play will take fire on Broadway, like August Osage County, like I said. That was all Chicago-based actors, all theater actors, and then once they went to bring it to Hollywood, no one's going to go out and see a three-hour drama with a bunch of no-names. So they get Meryl, you get Julia Roberts, you know, you get some 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 buzz behind it. And I, But I also don't think that there are a lot of plays where you have someone the caliber of Denzel Washington and Viola Davis who are willing to then adapt that to a movie. So I think that's a lot of times when you have a movie, like you just mentioned, where there's a lot of local actors. When a production company purchases that, they want to have some firepower behind it. When in this case, when you have Denzel and Viola, what more do you need? I mean, that's pretty pretty powerful there. And, and like we said, the play is, uh, always had a lot of star power behind it in general. Like when it Broadway on TV, you have James Earl Jones and then, uh, you know, then you had Denzel do it. So the, the, the How old was James Earl Jones in 87. I feel like even a hundred my whole life. Oh, that's a good question. He does. He does look a little older, but, uh, we'll, we'll He's get into James. He looked the same. Yeah, man. 2017. Is he still alive? Is yeah. Is still alive. Yeah. He looks exactly the same. Old time. Maybe I thought he thinking about when he died in Clear Present Danger with Harrison Ford. Maybe that's when I thought. Well, some of his characters aren't with us anymore, but the man himself is. I mean, for example, uh, Darth Vader no longer with us. But uh, with that said, yeah, we can. Well, while while we're on the topic, so uh, did he say did he say Darth Vader or Dark Vader? Dark Vader, y'all heard me. <laughs> Man's got dark on his mind today. So, uh, yeah, with that said, we did a little research in that video that has been uh, buzzing around the Internet. Uh, we, we watched side by side, and you can go watch it on YouTube. You can watch the famous monologue from this, mo- from this uh, show is uh, when Corey, Troy's son, 
approaches him and asks him, uh, Troy basically doesn't want him to uh, play on the football team. He wants him to get a trade job and, and learn a trade instead of uh, wasting his time with those fool-ass sports. And so Troy, uh, uh, Corey comes to Troy and asks him, why don't you ever like me? And there is a, a fantastic monologue written by August Wilson. And um, we had the good fortune of watching both James Earl Jones and Denzel Washington each approach and bust the scene. My butt putting up with them crackers all day long. Because I like you. You is the biggest fool I ever saw. It is my job. It is my responsibility. You understand that? A man got to take care of his family. You live in my house. You sleep your behind on my bedclothes. You put my food in your belly because you are my son. You are my flesh and blood. Not because I like you. It is my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. Wait now. Let's get this straight right now. We'll go along any further. I ain't got to like you. Mr. Rand, don't give me my money come payday because he liked me. He give me because he owe me. Now, I didn't give you everything I had to give you. I gave you your life. Your mama and me worked it out between us. And liking your black ass was not a part of the bargain. And don't you try and go through life worried if somebody liked you or not. You best make sure that they are doing right by you. Like, I go out of here every morning, bust my butt, putting up with them crackers every day, because I like you. You about the biggest fool I ever saw. It's my job. It's my responsibility. You understand that? A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, sleep your behind on my bed clothes, fill your belly with my food because you my son. You my flesh and blood. Not because I like you. Because it's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. Let's get this straight right here before it get along any further. I ain't got to like you. Mr. Rand don't give me my money come payday because he liked me. He give it to me because he owed me. I don't give you everything I got to give you. I give you your life. Me and your mama worked that out between us, and liking your black ass wasn't part of the bargain. <laughs> don't you try and go through life worrying about whether somebody liked you or not. You best be making sure they doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Then get the hell out of my face and get on down there. <laughs> And we got to see each of their takes on the character. Is there anything when you guys saw that? What were your first impressions when you saw each of their approach? My initial impression, because the way they have it set up, um, is that they show James Earl Jones and then Denzel, is that James Earl Jones was jacked. He looked huge in the video. Um, that was my first impression. Second impression of it, after watching the entire thing, was during James Earl Jones talking to Corey, the, it was completely serious and completely um, real. Uh, then when Denzel went, immediately there was laughter from the audience. That's kind of what... I like how you said. Yeah, the first thing point. you see, the first thing you hear is that Denzel has taken a more um, comical approach. Uh, he's, he's more sarcastic. Denzel's got that Denzel smile. He's got that cock head. And James Earl Jones is confident standing there with power and delivering those lines with power. And, you, and uh, to credit to Denzel, he doesn't want to sit there and just do James Earl Jones again. He's going to do it Denzel style. And the scene reads very differently, but still hits the same notes. For me, if, how I, my take on that was it's just the difference of the time 30 years later. 
You know, that's just how that play, that's how that would go out today. And, and you know, that was five years ago. So still, we're thinking 2012. Whereas in 1987, James Earl Jones had to be, this is serious. We're not laughing about this. Whereas Denzel's in there. You think I do this because I like you? Mm-hmm. Question for you, Bob. With Denzel's onstage performance, do you think that he knew when he was going to do this scene on stage that it would result in laughter? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Denzel, I think the way they read the scene, right. I think they're trying to go for laughs in that. Whereas, correct. Yeah, they, uh, he's very much machine gun when he says it. Uh, straighten up, goddammit. I got something to say to you. Versus, uh, you know, James Earl Jones is straighten up, goddammit. Pause. Wait. Levity. Here's my next piece. So, um, sorry about the whack ass James Earl Jones there, but yeah, that's pretty busted. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty, pretty busted. busted. Um, but uh, the, the here's the thing I really um, and it, it has nothing to do with Denzel Washington. I think he is one of the most iconic screen actors of my time. Oh man, hey man, watch your tone, man. I know. Talk about Relax. Denzel. Let me get to my point. Um, there's a part. There's a part at the end of this movie where uh, Corey is reflecting about his father, and he's talking about the man's presence in his house and how it filled up the house even when he wasn't there, and and even when they're talking about Troy and his baseball days, this man, I, I always interpreted when I saw these scenes and read these scenes in college and then, and then have seen them, I always interpreted Troy as a baseball player as almost like a Frank Thomas. He talks about how far and how monstrous his home runs were. And, and, and Corey talks about how large his father is and how large of a presence he is. And that really feels like James Earl Jones and what James Earl Jones has given us. And, and, and you know, Denzel, just by biology, doesn't have that size. He doesn't have that. So he fills it up with charisma. He's got to fill that house with his with his attitude and his charisma more so than his size and his you know in in his vibe. So so I just think it was a really interesting you know, and it's also cool to watch the different ways a, a you know a scene can play, but still uh, you know hit the same note in, in 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 the purpose of the show. So with that said, let's get into the plot here. Let's get into the plot of Fences. So Fences is about uh, a garbage man. His name's Troy, and he lives with his second wife and his current son, Corey, and he's frequently visited by a few people. So he's visited by his son from a different marriage. Son is begging ass. Son always begging for money and shit. Every time, Dad, uh, anywhere I can get $10, Denzel was like, you know, I think it's funny. You show up on Friday when you know it's payday, but I ain't seen your ass around here on Monday. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So his son Lions from a different um, from a different okay. mother. They they and I don't know, they grew up him and his son Corey with two very different lifestyles and paths, right? Question for you. Um, in the movie, clearly he has a different mother, but were they married? Was that ever established? I do not know. Okay. Because you mentioned his first wife or his second wife. Correct. So I don't know if they ever established if she, if they were married or if he just had a kid with this other woman. I honestly kind of took, let me get my foot up. I kind of took his um, first son as obviously tells you like I was robbing, I was stealing. I don't know if they were ever actually married as more as they were together. Yeah, yeah. And they had, they kind of, you know, obviously she got pregnant, which led to him doing more crime. 
So Troy, you know, a lot of the show is Troy reflecting. He's reflecting on a few things. He was reflecting on his past glory uh, of a baseball player, but he's also reflecting on his oppression and a very tough life led up until this moment. And so um, Troy, as you find out, uh, you know, through through a series of monologues, he was a um, he had a very uh, tough father. He lived. Uh, he had a single father who taught him uh, a lot about how to be a man, um, just in terms of the what he didn't want to be. And he he makes reference to the fact that his father could never stay with a woman. The fact that he grew up in a motherless home, which comes back to play later in this point about not wanting to have. Uh, someone, one of your children grow up in a motherless home. So Troy talks about that. He talks about um, how there, you know, there was a moment uh, where his father showed him that he truly couldn't live with a man like this. So Troy had to walk out on his own. He had to, uh, uh, the final stage of being a man was to, to go out on his own uh, against his father's will and, and make his own man. Right. So, so, so we have that kind of as Troy's past. Um, but there's a lot of mirroring, relationships between him and his own son, Corey. And that's a, you know, in the difference between Lyons and Corey is very different because uh, Troy met Lyons' mother, had Lyons. He felt like he had to go out and rob and steal things to provide for his family because that's a huge part about Troy is being able to provide for yourself and when you have family to provide for your family. So he has to go do that and he gets incarcerated. And so August Wilson, through talking about that, is trying to talk about how that has become part of the black experience at that time. Still, it still is shit. My dad did two times in the penitentiary, bruh. So do you feel like you relate at all to yeah, Corey's situation? Honestly, I know I said that kind of funny, but like my dad had four kids at 23 and did sell narcotics in Chicago because, as he'll tell you to this day, I was working at Arby's and $8 an hour wasn't going to cut it. And I thought it was a very good parallel between, what were we, like 1930s, whatever? 1950s. 1950s when this takes place. And I'm talking about 1986, 1990. My dad was incarcerated for selling drugs. I mean, he was doing criminal activity. And that's kind of what they're trying to say is that that's become part of the black experience. So you have uh, incarceration, and, and what does that do to the black person's experience? What, how does that affect their life? Because then he's got to come out. He, you know, he's got to rebuild. He's got to start his life over. We also have Corey, or we also have Troy is is frequently visited by his brother Gabe. Basically, that was the character you were born to play. When Gabe comes around, I'm like, that is Darcy Hill. I legitimately thought that when I saw Gabe the first time in the movie. Like, if Darcy was ever going to make a Hollywood debut, this would have been the character for him. And so Gabe is played by, do you guys recognize who Gabe was played by? Yeah, he's in a bunch of movies. Um, I'm trying to think. He was actually in, which is... He's got a famous, iconic character in a movie. Wasn't he in Hoodlum with Lawrence Fishburne? I did hold on. Did he did he just say Lawrence Fishberg? <laughs> the audience is now taking notes. They're trying to they're trying to spot Dar- the Darcia isms. But he's he is Bubba from Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Yeah. He was also in a uh, a movie about which is uh ironic. He was in a movie about Negro League baseball. I'm pretty sure he played oh, the movie Josh. Page? Yeah, he played Josh Gibson. Yeah. In that movie, yeah. um, I also do remember him uh, from the movie Heat um, as well. He was one of the man's been in Hollywood he's for a while. So we have uh, so he's frequented by his brother Gabe, and you find out that Troy lives in a house because of the money Gabe has got from the government uh, due to him being 
wounded in the war. So August Wilson is then kind of trying to talk about uh, what that does to a man's ego, what that does to Troy's psyche. And Troy is constantly trying to battle against that. And then finally, uh, you know, you have the confrontation with Troy and his son, Corey. And you find out that Troy was a major player in the Negro League Baseball the the Negro Baseball Leagues. But he was uh, basically due to segregation and that never, you know, he he became old enough as a ball player to where, you know, he, he never got a true shot at playing professional sports. And that has made Troy completely jaded against opportunities in sports. And here comes his son who wants a football scholarship and wants his father to support him. And he won't do that. I don't, I think it not only made him jaded in as far as sports go, I think it made him jaded against white people in general. Um, I think that was, I mean, I think his whole life, I'm sure he had felt that he was always, you know, not given the same opportunities that white people had gotten. But my feel from the movie is that he he referred to it several times where there was this guy playing for the Yankees, playing right field for the Yankees. He was batting 260 or whatever, playing right field and how he could do that now. But the guy playing right field was white and that's why he was still out there. And they also reference Roberto Clemente. His son does, and and uh, Troy says, yeah, you know, if a white guy's on the bench, he has to be terrible to be on the bench because they're going to give him every opportunity possible to get out there and play. Well, we also have the notion of not equal employment. Right. Troy, wants to, Troy wants to drive the right. trash truck. Right, but to me, if we can go back just for a second, I actually kind of had a different feel on the why he pushed his son away from sports. I think he didn't want his son to be like him in that sense of like he didn't want his son 20 years from now to still be chasing that football dream when he as he would say pick up a trade pick up something that's long term is going to you know make you money besides for playing a sport like your body physically like use something with your mental capacity to take you to some places yeah. and then there's also a major you know a major divide in both Corey's opinions of where America's headed versus Troy's look at the past and, and how jaded he is. Because Corey basically is saying, no, it's okay to, to start a career in sports because changes have been made. Um, people have broken barriers, and now I have opportunity. And for Troy to accept Corey and his success in sports, he has to also look at his own failures. And so, you know, that's a, that's something that Troy has to face, and he basically chooses to go the other way on it. He chooses to, you know, distance himself. And that, and that is where the theme of fences comes in. Because, as Bono says, fences can be made to keep people in, but also can be made to push people away, keep people out. Are we going to talk about how funny the fence is at some point? Well, just how the fence is busted? Right, right. Like, I, I just thought, I, always, I found it very interesting about how the movie's called Fences, and they're building this fence, but he only makes a goddamn quarter of a fence throughout the entire movie, and they make it seem like he's done. And I'm like, where the hell is, I can see the alley, like, where, where's the rest of the fence? Yeah, yeah, the fence, the, the the fence is a little confusing, just right. in terms of how much fence we right. we end up getting to see. But yeah, the, the the metaphor of the fence of just you know uh, because Rose essentially wants the fence so she can keep her loved ones in and close to her, which is very warranted based on where the plot goes. And Troy essentially puts the fence up to block people out and push people away 
that being Corey, that being Lions, his other son, and that being death itself. So, yeah, those are some of the like, major, you know, heavy themes in the play. Uh, you know, the play also uh, deals with the fact that there, there, there's other themes that get kicked around. Uh, uh, Troy is constantly referencing baseball as it relates to life and how he's always been stuck at first base. All I knew was baseball. She'd be like, don't tell me about that damn baseball. I'm talking about life. Like, I'm woman. I'm going to tell you how I know it. Um, for any of you that have not seen the movie yet, I can assure you that Denzel and Viola Davis do not sound identical. Um, <laughs> so that wouldn't be a problem for you. But, yeah, he does reference baseball quite a bit. Um, he tells his son all the time that he's got two strikes. He's got a full count. You know, it's just no matter what. Yeah, he always goes back to that. So, yeah, but you know, when he's talking about other conflicts as it relates to his marriage, and you know, both both Rose and Troy admit that they've been stuck in the same place for eighteen years, and you know, he uses that baseball analogy. So, if you see the film, there's a there's a scene that takes place in the backyard. Troy and Rose have this um, scene where she just found out. He's been stepping out on the marriage. He's gotten another woman pregnant. And it's the most powerful, to me personally, in the movie. Because I was in the movie theater, and this shit gave me chills. Because Rose, Miss Viola Davis, as I call her, that's how we say it, she out Denzel's Denzel. Like, she took this shit. And like, there is a great article see, online. Anyone that sees this movie and they see this scene, they're going to be like, nah, bro, this her movie. This one Denzel movie. Because she, man, goosebumps. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible scene. If there was a category, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that she's going to win the Oscar for Best Supporting, supporting Actress. Um... But if there was a, a category for best scene in a movie, she would probably have taken it. Killed it. Um, like murdered it. Yeah, it was a pretty powerful scene. Yeah, and that's I love that scene. And first of all, Viola gives us the, of course, the Viola snot, which has become famous in America, or become famous in movies now. Where you know, because she did it for us in Doubt, she does it frequently on uh, her show. And we get very snotty with it, very, uh, which is great though. I, um, and but the the part that me and Caitlin kind of looked at each other and you know we're like, damn, was when she was talking about. What about my life? Yeah. What about my life, Troy? But then she goes, but she also you says. Think I didn't want to do other things. She also says, I always told myself I wasn't gonna have a, a family where it's your daddy and, and your mama and you know this daddy and this daddy and a split family and a separated family. And she's like, I always told myself I was gonna have that. It's before they actually go out into the backyard. It's when they're in the kitchen still that right. she says that part, mm -hmm. um, and that's before that. But the, yeah, that was that was very powerful because, like you mentioned, she had ten brothers and sisters, and none of them had the same mother and father, and they didn't know who. They always had to say my daddy, my mama, whoever. They could just never say dad, mom, because they didn't know which one they were talking about. And that's August Wilson trying to give us an insight into, again, the black experience, uh, you know, like what a black family looked like at that time, you know, in they 1950s. like that, bro. I'm talking about Honestly, it's, <laughs> I know it's, once again, we're bringing those parallels to how relevant this film is, even though it was made, you know, 1897. Is that right? 1897? So, like, it's... 1987. Nin no, that's when the play was... When was it written? Oh, the, the play was written in 1983, but it was set in 1950. Okay. Right, so it's like just shows you how prevalent that still is today. Like, 
if I was to think just offhand, if you look at people's families and how it, there could be four brothers and sisters, and they'll say my brother, my sister, but they're really only half related. Like they all have different moms or dads. They're not, you know, one whole family. So it's just, it's just crazy to think that all this time later, almost when like he foresaw the future, as in like this is gonna perpetuate itself and keep going and keep getting worse for the African American community. Exactly. And so, you know, Troy is trying to instill responsibility in his son, and yet he can't control his own home. He can't control himself. And then, you know, of course, the, the baby uh, of, the, of the, the new woman comes home, and Viola Davis has the line. Woo! Woo, she has a line which we will not say here to spoil it for anybody, but she has a line that had every woman in the audience going, ow! Yeah, like Dr. I was in the movie theater. They were like, "You tell him, girl." That's right. I was. People was yelling and shit. I was like, "Woo!" It was crazy, man. That line, serious. Very heavy themes. Um, fantastically written. I've seen this scene. I've seen this show done in classrooms. I've I've seen friends do it. By no means anywhere near the, to the caliber that Mr. Washington was doing it or, or Viola. And I've, I've always really liked the play. It's, I thought it was done justice on, on the big screen there. So do you guys have anything else before we get into a general Denzel top? Uh, what do you guys think in terms of the Denzel canon, all of Denzel's movies? Where do you think this will list? Think we can go somewhere else before this. Okay. Because there's some, some weird parallels that happen in this movie. Okay. That I can't let slide. As you know, in the movie... Denzel sings a song about his dog. Correct, his dog Blue, Old Blue. I got a dog named Blue. It your boy has a dog named Blue. Me, your boy sitting on the other side of the couch. Yeah, my girlfriend's dog's name is Blue as well. We had uh-huh. no idea that before the movie came out that the dog name was Blue, and both of us were sitting here and we know a Blue. There we go. So, where do you guys think this? Where do you think this stands in the in the all time great the pantheon the 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 Denzel Washington canon? Would you guys put it in his top ten, his top five, number one? Where you guys have it? I mean, there are so many Denzel Washington movies been around for so long. Um, it's hard to kind of take a step back and and know where to put uh, this. Um, I I would say for me, it's probably somewhere. In uh, the five to ten, between five and ten range, maybe a little bit lower, maybe ten to fifteen. Like I said, the movie itself, I wasn't necessarily um, a huge fan of. I think I would have liked the Broadway performance better than I did the actual movie. His performance itself was incredible. Um, Viola Davis did steal the movie for sure, but as over an overall movie. Very good movie. Um, I think for him, though, with so many movies, for me, it would probably be in that that 8 to 12 to 15 range for my, my favorite Denzel movies. Okay. D. Hill, does, where does this... I mean, you're a man who sees a lot of his stuff, man. Where, where would you put this? I am, a, obviously, big Denzel guy. Like, I see Denzel's name on the movie. I'm out here. I'm, I'm going to see it, you know? Um, I would have to say... If I was ranking Fences, I think as far as acting alone goes, as far as we're just talking about him on film, I think he's one of his better films because this took more work than the other films he's done. That's my personal opinion. I, mean, I could be wrong, but I'm just saying the fact that, like I stated earlier, like there is no background. There is no music. It's him. That's what you're paying attention to. 
So I I would probably I would I don't know I probably put it at the back of the top ten. I just have you know obviously so many Denzel films that I love. Yeah, and I, I honestly as a performance, I think it's one of his stronger performances I've seen him do. There's a lot of Denzel movies we we love. I think this one is personal to him. I think he has spent a lot of time thinking about this text, uh, about these themes. He believes in them wholeheartedly. So I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I really think Denzel's been, been hitting his try. I, I, I loved his, I still think about his, uh, monologue about I'm an alcoholic in, um, in flight. I think about, uh, what he did in the movie Philadelphia, uh, as, as a, as a lawyer for, you know, you know during that time and, and, and in that temperature of America, I, I think, you know, that was a groundbreaking performance. Um, obviously, Training Day has to be up there towards the top. I would put this up towards the the top five for me. Um, For me, one, my first, I think, experience with Denzel Washington on screen was probably in Glory, which I his character was just incredible in Glory. Um. And for me, like this character that he played, and as you mentioned, I do think it was a personal project for him. Um, I've heard him do interviews about it, and he was extremely invested in this character. And you can tell when he's on screen that that comes out. But when I like see him talk or listen to him talk and see him in this movie, it's just like a lot of Denzel kind of being Denzel. You know what I mean? Like I, it, maybe it's this being more Denzel than he normally is in some movies, but I don't like, I don't get the feeling like he's doing something that's completely out of character for who he is as a person necessarily. But what I would say is, um, if you got something and it works for that long, why the hell are you going to change it? <laughs> well, a lot of times these actors, when they get to a certain point in their career, become caricatures of themselves. You know, Al Pacino is the most reason or the, the the most obvious example of that. And if you look at old Al Pacino when he was in Godfather, early Godfather stuff, you don't even recognize Serpico Pacino. Completely different guy than what he is now. And I don't think Denzel has gotten to that point where he is like a caricature of of who he was as a as an actor by any stretch. But for me, a performance that he had in Glory. Or a performance like he had when he played Malcolm X, for me, is more powerful than this performance where I can see kind of who he is as an actor now coming out in a lot of these scenes. Like, Malcolm X was a completely... I mean, he took on the role of a, of a, a person, a real person, you know what I mean? Which is different than just playing, you know, a role in a movie. So yeah. some Denzel stuff, and this is a very Denzel-y performance. You're right. Yeah. Like this is a very like he, all the all the the famous marks that Jay Farrell <laughs> has brought to light. Uh, we we have in the Denzel, but again, I still really enjoyed ah, it. My man, there was no my man in this film. So yeah, you guys all will give it a give it a big thumbs up. Tell people to go out to see it. Do you guys think he wins? The, I honestly feel that the wins are changing in the best male actor category. I think he has a real chance. I thought normally it stays the same. Whoever wins the they went the Golden Globes first, mm-hmm. and your boy won. Casey Affleck won, but Denzel won the SAG, and I just feel that Fences is picking up more and more momentum the closer we I get to Oscar time. Uh, I'd like to ask Darcy if he knows what SAG stands for. No fucking idea. <laughs> Screen Screen Actors Guild, and it's not SAGs. <laughs>
A sag, saggy ball. I don't know. Everybody. All right, so we're going to get into a little trivia before we send it home today on our fences top. So uh, I have written up some Denzel questions, and these are for both of you guys, and I'm hoping that, D-Hill, I'm hoping you get 50%. 50%. If you get 50%, I'll be happy. Lines. Let me pass the, uh, it's not lines. Okay, you guys ready? Uh, All right, the first question is on every actor's IMDb page. There is a what films are they known for? Can I ask Thursia what IMDb stands for? No fucking idea. <laughs> Internet Movie Database. Oh, okay. Already failing trivia before we even get into it. So on every actor's IMDb page, there are three movies that are listed that they are known for, in case you don't know their name. What do you think Denzel's three movies, according to IMDb, that he is most known for? Uh, if I were to guess... I'd say, well, training day he won a fucking Oscar. Are you going to say all three right now, or are you going one? Let's go one by one. Well, it has to be training day. Training day is the first one. Okay, Okay, I'm going to say Remember the Titans. Incorrect. Malcolm X. Incorrect. What? Um, I'm going to say Virtuosity. (laughs) (laughs) Philadelphia. No, none of those are correct. John Q. No. Safe House. (laughs) Nope. Book of Eli. Nope. Deja Vu. You guys are getting a lot of movies, but no. <laughs> Out of Time. No. Oh, no. Remember the fucking Titans. Which has already been said, I but no. Said I'm going to oh, I'm I'm right. give them to you so we can give move on. one more. American Gangster. So we that gotta get the third that movie's one. not even about top 10 Denzel movies. Exactly. But this is this is according to IMDb. It's a silly right, it's game. It's a movie that people went to see, obviously. So yeah. So give us a hint on the third Training one. Training Day? The, the third one has a is lot of... Is it Lost? No, what's the movie he's in where he turns a cat at the end? The movie Lost where Denzel Washington turns no, into a cat, a cat at the end. Fallen. We, we have... Oh, no, it's not Fallen. fallen. We, we've had... Two beers apiece, which means Darcy is now officially drunk. Lies. <laughs> the man's off the rail. So give us a clue on the third one. Has a lot of murder in it. It's a man, he's, he kills a lot of people. Equalizer? No. Book of Eli? No. Magnificent Seven? No. Man on Fire. Ah! Oh, I, love it. I wish you had more time. Exactly. That's what your boy, the singer, in it. Correct. Man on Fire. Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony in that bitch. All right, finally. I'm going to, because Darcia is so bad with names, I'm going to play the name game with Darcia. So I am going to give you a Denzel Washington character. You give me the movie in which this character existed, if that makes sense. We're going to start off easy, okay? Jake Shuttlesworth. Oh, wow. You don't know? Oh, my God. He got game. You did not know Jake Shuttlesworth? Wow. I should have known Jake Oh, man. The... Darcy, as much as her dad has been in jail, I would think you would know Jake Shuttlesworth. <laughs> I knew, I knew Jesus. Man, you said, you you're gonna share this on your Facebook page, and all of your Denzel people, everyone's gonna be on you, man. I knew Jesus Shuttlesworth. That was the layup that I gave you. I'm like, how's that a layup? Coach Herman Boone. Coach Herman Boone. Ah, uh, fuck. What? Coach Herman. Uh, was that Coach Herman Boone or Co- <laughs> Coach Herman Boom? <laughs> Coach Herman Boone. Y'all know I'm bad with names? Uh, what fucking movie is this? Yeah, I got this one too. It's it. Remember the Titans. Oh my God. This is a fucking nightmare. Darcy is about to get his Denzel Washington card revoked. I was gonna. I was hoping you are going to get 50%, and I'm hoping you get two. Private Trip. I actually don't. What? 
I have no idea. What would be your best guess? Private trip. My best guess for private trip would be Glory. That is correct. Okay. JC, by the way, is three for three. Nailed it. Reuben Carter. Uh, John Q. Uh, no, that's the hurricane. That is also correct. The hurricane. Here comes the hurricane. Uh, they're going to get a little difficult now. Uh, John Quincy Archibald. Is that John Q? That is John Q. D Hill is on the board <laughs> on with the one. Board. It's not supposed to be a, a, a you know you one versus another, but damn, you are just terrible at this. Uh, John. I don't know how I am with names, man. John Hobbs. Uh, shit, I feel like that's Hobbs. Uh, John Hobbs is. Any guess? Is that the equalizer? I'm guessing he was a cop. Right. Um, I don't know. That was no, that was fallen. John Howe. Fallen? <laughs> Attorney Joe Miller. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Bing, 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 bing. Whip Whitaker. Whip Whitaker. Flight. Flight is correct. Flight is correct. <laughs> Fun fact: I've never seen Flight. As a Denzel, the man that runs out to see every Denzel movie as soon as he hits theater, man gets nominated for an Oscar. I've never seen Flight. Golly. Detective Alonzo Harris. Oh, that's training day. Everyone knows. You want to do the speech? Give the speech. You motherfuckers, we're playing basketball at Pelican Bay when I get through with you. Shoe program, (laughs) Igga. Thank you for the edit. lockdown. Who the fuck you think you fucking with? I'm the police. I run shit here. You just live here. You guys, powerful, powerful stuff. Somehow that performance of Denzel in Training Day sounded like Viola Davis in Fences. (laughs) Yeah, correct. Viola in the house. I kind of want to see her do the scene, though. I think she might be nice. Yeah, guys, some snot, some snot in the scene. Correct, correct. Uh, Detective Keith Frazier. This is actually one of my favorite Denzel movies, Inside Man. Inside Man. Oh, Dude, you're smashing movie. this. Uh, Dr. Jerome Davenport. Manchurian Candidate. No. <laughs> doctor, Dr. Denzel, huh? Um, I don't recall him being a doctor very often, so I don't know this one. That's Antoine Fisher. Oh. And finally. That kind of doctor. Yeah, that, 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 that kind of doctor. Uh, and finally, Frank Lucas. Well, that's, that's American Gangster. Correct. Here we go. Yeah, so between you guys, the only ones you guys missed were Antoine Fisher and John Hobbs, which were, um, uh, which was Fallen, and, and those are pretty tough. So good showing overall to JC, and you should be ashamed of yourself. Do your research. I'm not doing any research. I'm not going to research anything, actually. But I'll be back next week. Holla at me. Thank you so much to... My man, Darcia Hill, for coming on. Finally, long time waiting, long time friend of the pod. It just goes to show if you hang in there and you listen to the pod long enough, we might let you on. And also, thank you for JC for coming on. Branson. Barry, I'm taking your spot, son. Barry, my couch. All right, everybody. So thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Bye. For me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I've been right here with you, Troy. I got a life, too. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. So 
Don't you think I ever wanted other things? Don't you think I had dreams and hopes? What about my life? What about me?